What's up, everybody? It's the Power Rankings Podcast, a.k.a. The Power Rankings Show. I'm your host, Elliot Harrison. Now, normally here, I'd say I'm pleased to be joined by at Marcus underscore Mosher, but I can't do that today because <laughs> while I am joined by him, um, I don't know how pleased I am about it because I don't think Marcus really wants to have a conversation today. I think Marcus wants to just rip into uh the legacy of a player <laughs> well here's the good uh, thing this is why i'm so glad that you're you're my friend and my colleague because we're just, we're just gonna start the podcast off hot so i got into a couple of twitter scuffles uh the last couple of days talking about 1990s quarterbacks and i always like that i can come for you come to you and you'll be like my voice of reasoning if you think i'm going too far or you think i have a dumb take and I expressed this recent take to you, and you're like, no, no, I, I'm all in. So it, it, this is great. This is going to be a good podcast today. Well, there are – so I'm all in with what at least you presented to me the other day. There are some things I think would help you appreciate your subject a little more from a totally different standpoint uh, that you probably haven't thought about. Um I don't know how much relevance it has, though, to the core point, which is, and I should just throw out there, Marcus thinks that John Elway is tremendously overrated. Um, John Elway, first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback. Pretty much every person I know has him in their top 10 and relatively high in the top 10. They don't have him like at 10. Usually when I see lists, John Elway is around seven. Mm -hmm. um, somewhere in that area, I would say. And I will tell you that after he retired, uh, he retired in 1999. Um, there were a lot of people that had him at like number one or number two. And so, um, that's, what that's we're kind of the, back the background. Yeah. We're, we're at least my case, Ellie, it's not that John Elway shouldn't be a hall of fame quarterback or that he wasn't a good quarterback or even a great quarterback. It's just, I can't get behind him as a top five, top seven, maybe even a top 10 quarterback. It just seems a little bit rich to me. So uh, make sure you keep that in perspective when we start tearing down his career. <laughs> well, so I'll just, uh, so basically John Elway's career highlights when he uh, retired from the NFL after 16 years, he was the all-time leader in a few categories. I think he was the all-time leader in QB starts and wins. Uh, when he retired, uh, he was he took the Broncos to five Super Bowls. Uh, no one had done that. The 49ers had gone to five Super Bowls, but four were Montana. One was Steve Young. Terry Bradshaw had started four Super Bowls with Pittsburgh, but John Elway was the first to start uh, five. He did them all for the same team. He played his entire 16-year career with the Broncos. He became a starter his rookie year. He was a, a very solid starter his last year. In fact, his last professional game was the Pro Bowl. Mm -hmm. um, he went out on top. They won the Super Bowl back-to-back -back years, his final two years in the league. And he lost his first three starts in pretty bad fashion. The Broncos got blown out in 86, 87, and 89. Uh, I will, just to start kind of in one spot, when he won those back-to-back -back Super Bowls, 
that's when he kind of leapfrogged everybody to the mm -hmm. top of the line. That's when everyone said, you know, and I had a hard time with that at the time. I'm like, how is a guy all of a sudden great just because they won two Super Bowls? I mean, the Broncos of 98, 97, 98 were great teams and they were not John Elway centric. They were Terrell Davis centric. And uh, that's not to take away from John Elway, but <clears throat> that's maybe where a little bit of the overrating in my mind started. Uh, but I'm you're the one who is uh, fighting on Twitter about this. So please make your case. Oh, man, I, there's so many different directions that we can go. But let's the first thing I want to say is it's really hard to compare the stats of a quarterback that primarily played in the 80s and 90s to the quarterbacks of today. That's just a nonsense way of ranking quarterbacks right and we see this all the time that the joke that we always make is i think fox one time showed ryan fitzpatrick stats compared to troy aikman's and they were say, basically trying to say that they were similar quarterbacks that that's why we can't do that so you have to compare the quarterbacks his peers against him right that's the only fair way to do it correct yeah i mean the idea of comparing ryan fitz i mean the fact that fox even made that mistake is remarkable but you wonder why uh, Troy Aikman gets salty about these things. Yeah, I'll, go ahead. I mean, he should. Uh, all right, so here, here's what I've done. I've, I've w looked at quarterbacks. I, I wrote these down. Just, I've been listen. I've been ready for the show. I've been actually doing some work preparing. Oh, it's, uh, we're gonna get your typical like because I work because yeah, I do yeah. the work on the that. podcast and you don't. All right, and so you don't do from anything? 1983, yeah, okay, Elliot, till 1998, the, the entire scope of John Elway's career. There were 19 quarterbacks that started at least 100 games. That is a pretty big sample size. And that's quite a few quarterbacks, right? That's mm -hmm. and there's some really mm -hmm. good quarterbacks in there. Here's how John Elway ranks in a few stats uh, relative to those quarterbacks. Completion percentage, 16 out of 19. Touchdown percentage, 13th out of 19. Interception percentage, 10th out of 19th. Quarterback rating, 14th out of 19. Yards per attempt, 10th out of 19, and then adjusted net yards per attempt, 11th out of 19, and just adjusted yards per attempt, 16th out of 19. I know no one stat is a great way to show a quarterback is elite, but when I, do, I show six stats there and he's not inside the top 10 of any of those, I mean, it's awfully hard to say he's a top 10 quarterback if he wasn't even a top 10 quarterback when he played. Do you have interception percentage there in front of you? I do. It it's uh 10%. Or that's that's the uh sorry. He was 10th in that his interception rate was 3.1%. So, a couple things here. One of the first I, I would say the first pushback that you're going to get on what you just cited. Well, there's two pushbacks you're going to get. Um one of them is a half truth and one of them is just flat out wrong. The first pushback you're going to get is, is that you can't compare, you know, that you can't look at stats, John Elway's stats and, and be able to gauge them accurately. And I would argue that you can, because you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're comparing quarterbacks to their peers from the time they played. This is all from the time mm -hmm. he played. You're not comparing them to guys now, because if you compared them to guys now that have a hundred career starts, I bet you some of those categories, he would be like close to the very end, like mm -hmm. 19th. Um, so that would be the first argument you would get. And I would side with you. The second argument you would get 
is that the offense he played in, that Dan Reeves was hyper-conservative and that he basically made John Elway play quarterback with one arm tied behind his back. It's not totally false. Dan Reeves was very conservative. Dan Reeves believed on relying on defense and a, a special teams and a really balanced, balanced offense and knew that turnovers really hurt the team. Mm-hmm. They had the personnel on defense to win games, Marcus, in the 80s. If you pull up the Broncos' defensive ranks in the 80s, I bet you there's some pretty good years there. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I think as the late 80s moved into the early 90s, it got to be a little too much, and he needed to trust his quarterback more. And the reason that came about is because John Elway would take over games in the fourth quarter when you mm-hmm. kind of had to play more street ball because the team was down and he would play great. And so Mike Shanahan really helped to open up the offense for him. Really in 1993, the Broncos, after Reeves was gone, the offense got better. The problem is, is John Elway had six years there to up his numbers. And even from 93 to 98, his numbers aren't fantastic. They're Mm -hmm. good. They're good. But those are the two primary arguments that you're going to get about what you decided. A couple more things on him. I, I think the back end of his career, as you mentioned, when he won the two Super Bowls, really vaulted him up rankings. The problem was is about half of his career, I mean, I think you could say he is a below average quarterback, or at least average. So I know he won the MVP in 1986. That was the season where he completed 55% of his passes. 87. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, sorry. 87. 1987. 19 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 54.6% completion percentage. Not great. You know my favorite stat is yards per attempt. So if you look at yards per attempt for all the quarterbacks from 1983 to 1990, this is including starting quarterbacks, backup quarterbacks, running backs, throwing passes, the league average yards per attempt was 7.0. Yep. John Elway's That's what I would have guessed. 6.85. So he was below average. Here's some names during that stretch that had better yards per attempts uh, than John Elway. Uh, we had Vinny Testaverde, Bobby Brister, Mark Wilson, Bobby Herbert, Jeff Kemp, Steve DeBerg, Dieter yeah. Brock, Rodney yep. Pete. I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks for seven or eight years that were just more efficient uh, than Elway. And then on top of that, it's there was a lot of seasons where they were okay. They were eight and seven. One year they were five and eleven. One year they were four and six. It's just there's no statistical case that you can make for him that shows that he is so far above his peers during those two decades. Well, Bobby Abair just called and said you mispronounced his name. But other than that, I don't agree with disagree with anything that you just said. Um I call, Bobby it's Bobby Abair. Herbert. Bobby Abair, Cajun. <laughs> uh, just so everybody knows, um, Paul so McDonald, I think he has a, Paul McDonald, Jack Thompson. Okay. Yeah. The throwing Samoan Richard Todd. Yeah. Richard Todd. Keep, you want to keep going Former New York jet. Yeah, we could go Gary all day Huggaboom. with this. So what do you, so what does this tell you now that you've spouted that off? What <laughs> does that, how does that formulate your opinion about John Elway? I think he was somebody who was a generational quarterback coming out of college 
that we really liked because the highlight plays were incredible. His arm strength was kind of unparalleled, right? I mean, he just had a mm-hmm. cannon for an arm. And we kind of overlooked that he wasn't always the most successful or dominant quarterback. His teams were good, right? There was a, there mm-hmm. was a good stretch where he, they were winning 12, 11 games a season. But he just wasn't as consistently great as everybody wanted him to be. So one of the things, there's a couple of th- reasons why John Elway is looked at the way that he is. Okay. One of them is his ability to lift the team at the end of a game. And you cannot dispute that. He sure. was phenomenal. He was the modern day Roger Staubach. Roger Staubach was known as Captain Comeback. Roger Staubach had 23 come from behind wins. And John Elway obliterated that mark. And he really he had a special way of making it happen late in games. I'm not even talking about the drive. I mean, 1991 against Houston, he converts two fourth downs with his legs and beats a, a talented Oilers team to advance the Broncos to the AFC championship uh, over and over again. He made, you know, great plays when, when the team really had to have it. The problem is that's what all people always remember. What they don't remember is the three interceptions in the first half that put the Broncos in the hole in the first place. Okay. And so one of the arguments that you'll get for John Elway is, is the same one that I hear for Barry Sanders and it drives me crazy. I'm a huge Barry Sanders fan. I think Barry Sanders is the third best running back to ever play in the NFL. Okay. I guarantee you Marcus thinks Ladanian Tomlinson's better, but that's okay. Um, That's a podcast for another day. But when I start hearing the poor Barry routine that he didn't play with any good players in Detroit, I'm out. I'm out. You know what? Barry would be out too. Cause he'd be the first to tell you, you kidding me? John Elway played with some great football players, not good football players, great football players. I've got the Broncos defensive ranks up. I pulled a Marcus and I pulled up pro football reference just cause I wanted to cheat like he does. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So this is from the start of Elway's career. Okay. This is point where the Broncos ranked in points allowed uh, through the the his his tenure there. Okay, mm-hmm. first year ninth, second year second, thirteenth, fifteenth, seventh, twentieth. That's one bad year. Mm-hmm. First, twenty third. There's a second bad year. Third, nineteenth. Okay, average year. That was Dan Reeves last year. They had a hard time. Okay. First, eighth, 16th, 10th, 21st, and fourth. Mm. Marcus, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times in his 16 year career, the Broncos finished in the top 10. And points allowed. You think most quarterbacks would take that? Oh, yeah. I mean, how yeah. many of those teams would just love to have a not awful defense, right? There's yes. so many quarterbacks. And how many more Super Bowls does Mahomes have if they have just a not awful defense? Twice, twice they finished first. Twice. Okay. Have the Cowboys ever finished first in Dak Prescott or Tony Romo's career? No, never. And points allowed? No. No. Uh, another time they finished second. And another time they finished third and another time they finished fourth. Mm-hmm. Okay. The worst ranking they ever had, they ever had his entire career in points allowed was 23rd. And granted, that's not good. That's what not year was good. that? 
That was 1990 when they were bad. It, they went what five? And he and wasn't able to overcome it, right? But that's it. That's he a wasn't over. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So take take 20. Let's take super maligned quarterback Tony Romo. 2013, the Dallas Cowboys had the worst statistical defense in the history of the NFL in terms of yards allowed. Mm-hmm. And the Cowboys went eight and seven with Romo. They went eight and eight for the year because Kyle Orton started the last game of the year against Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. This is the kind of thing that drives me nuts. Here's the other part of it. Hall of Fame. I've, you know, I've talked to voters. I've been in the room. I've talked to fans. I've talked to other analysts. One of the things I've heard a lot is that the Broncos don't have enough guys in the Hall of Fame, particularly before Steve Atwater made it in. I was a big proponent for Steve Atwater. I've been a big proponent for Randy Gratishar, a linebacker from the 70s and 80s. But you can't say that John Elway, the Broncos didn't get good until 1977. Okay. Elway got there in 83. So that's only six years before Elway got there of non John Elway Broncos football. Okay. Mm-hmm. So most of the great players that fans and writers are referring to played in the Elway era. In other words, most of the guys are saying should be in the hall of fame played Mm -hmm. with John Elway. So how can you in one hand say he played with cruddy teams and was a one man band. And then on the other hand, say they don't have enough guys in the hall of fame. You follow me? It doesn't make any sense. Does it? No, it makes zero sense. Um, My last point on, on this is I want to explain why Dan Reeves did what he did. Dan Reeves was a great head coach, man. I hate all the disparagement of Dan Reeves. It's so inaccurate. The Broncos would have never made it anywhere without Dan Reeves. Dan Reeves took over that team. They went nine and seven his first year there. Uh, The reason they played the way they did is because John Elway was a little bit like Brett Favre. He threw rocket balls, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, rocket balls. Balls that would break his receiver's fingers, that would hit their shoulder pad, bounce 10 yards up in the air. Dominique Wilkins could have dunked it. I mean, like literally, <laughs> it made it easy to get picks. And Marcus, if you look at his interceptions, like 83, 84, 85, you'll see a really high, I'm not looking at Elway right now. Mm-hmm. You should see really high interception percentages those three years. I think 85, he threw 23 picks. So I'm going off memory here. Yeah, yeah. Uh couple of things more about his defense from 1983 to 1998 through his entire career. The Broncos were third in that stretch in points allowed per game third. I mean, the, the just, only defenses that were better 49ers and the giants, that's it. So if LA has got a fantastic defense, but he's still turning the ball over a lot, his yards per attempt are average at best. Again, remember we just showed you, he was actually a little bit below league average throughout the course of his career. And the interception ratio is high. The passer rating's not high. How can we justify him being a top five, top seven quarterback? And what if hypothetical scenario, what if he just ends his career? Like what if he just retires, you know, right in 1994 and 1995 and he doesn't win those Super Bowls? Is the rest of his career resume good enough to keep him inside the top 10? I think no. the answer is, uh, but you can't do that with Brady, right? If Tom Brady retires before he leaves for Tampa Bay, he's still the greatest quarterback of all time, right? That's why this yeah. is such a flimsy case for Elway being a top five, top seven quarterback. The first year that he saw, so I'm, I'm going to stay with your defense. I, I, you know, I was talking about his interceptions and 
you're so eager to plummet the guy that you went ahead and went to another topic to plummet him further. <laughs> but I, I, like I want to stick with you a little bit. I, I want to st stick with your thought process though here. So let's go to that defense. The first year that the Broncos made the Super Bowl with John Elway, and you started hearing this one man band kind of stuff, <clears throat> was in 1986. The team went 11 and 5. They beat Cleveland at Cleveland. That's the famous drive game. Elway deserves a ton of credit for that drive. As I said, he was a mm -hmm. master. I would put him in the Hall of Fame just for his fourth quarter exploits alone. But we're talking about is he one of the best quarterbacks of all time? like top seven, top eight? And my answer is no. And if we take the 86 Broncos, just that team, okay, on defense, they had Carl Mecklenburg, who was a three-time first-team All-Pro, first-team. Rulon Jones, four double-digit sack seasons. Simon Fletcher, five double-digit mm -hmm. sack seasons. That's all in the front seven, bro. Mm -hmm. Tom Jackson, an outside linebacker, who some people have made a case for the Hall of Fame, was one of the linebackers. Louis Wright, their corner, I think should be in the Hall of Fame. Dennis Smith, uh, their safety, made the Pro Bowl that year. Really great, long, long career for Dennis Smith. I think 14 years for him. He played alongside Atwater. Atwater was not on the 86 team. Mm -hmm. I can name more Broncos players from that team. I'm, I'm not going to do that all day here. My point is... Dan Reeves knew what he had. He had a good defense. And also, when your quarterback throws interceptions at the rate that John Elway did, you're putting your defense in a tough position. So the fact that they allowed such few points per game was actually quite a testament to that group to force and field goals. I agree. Um, so I don't want to get into this where we're trying to figure out exactly where he ranks compared to Tom, you know, the guys that are playing right now and the guys that played before him, but just kind of guys that played around the same time, right? His peers. So mm -hmm. his peers included Dan Marino, Warren Moon, Boomer Esiason, Jim Kelly, Steve Young, Joe Montana, at least a little bit, Troy Aikman, Brett Favre, Randall Cobb, you guys know the others. Where does he rank among those quarterbacks? Well, I do think he's one of the best. Uh, I will, like I said, what you do in big games really, really matters. And, um, you know, I don't just define big games as Super Bowls. Divisional round, wild card, championship, late season games, division games. He was the man. I mean, he really did. It's not a myth. I watched those games. I could name the games. Um so I would put him pretty high, but among so let's, his let's do this. Let's do this. But uh, Dan Marino, he's not better than Dan. I take Dan Marino over John Elway. Okay. Uh, Warren Moon, I take Elway. Okay. Boomer Sison, I take Elway. Jim Kelly, I take Elway. Okay, good. Steve Young. This is where it gets really hard. This is where it gets really hard. I'm gonna. Oh my gosh, I almost said I played the fifth, but I really, that's not something I really want to be saying. <laughs> um, keep going. I, I'm, I'm, I'm putting Steve Young there. That's okay. Joe Montana. Uh, this uh, Next question. By the way, I'm sorting by <laughs> career yards from 1983 to 1998. That's just, This is why I'm reading him in this order, okay? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, Troy Aikman. I'll take it away. Okay. 
I don't. I gotta skip one of these. Brett Favre. I probably take Elway. Okay. But I, that's like Steve Young. I, you could jumble those three for me, and I don't really care what you come out with. Um, the rest of these are going to be hard nose, but um, it's going to say Dan Fouts. You're going to take Elway. Ron Jaworski, you're going to take Elway. So there you go. So basically, you have him around the fourth best quarterback of his era. Yes. Okay. Which is I, certainly worthy of being a Hall of Famer. Right. And that um, that's the point. I I think I think you can have a conversation that he's somewhere between three to five of his peers, right? The problem is I think a lot of people treat him like he's number one or number two, and that's just not true at all. Like he he's just not. Let me give you another kind of he's greater than Philip Rivers, but less than Peyton Manning. So who is that for you? Greater than Philip Rivers, but less than Peyton Manning. Yes, it's a narrow band. A, I mean, to me, that's like band. that's like Drew Brees, right? And and I would put Drew Brees over John Elway for career consistency, doing it in two different places. Um, Do you want some more names? Sure. Okay. Um, Aaron Rodgers. At this point, I would probably take Aaron Rodgers over John Elway. I say that's really hard, though. That's another one that's – those guys, to me, are right around the 10th greatest quarterback in league history. Yeah. But, again, that's that's the whole point. When I think when you we talk about John Elway, too many people put him inside the top five when I think he's really closer to 10. It's not that we hate Elway, just he's a little bit overrated. Yeah, I, I I would put Elway, if I did a list right now, I'd probably put Elway at 10th. Um, now, ahead I factor or, in a lot of things. Go ahead. Ahead or below Ryan Fitzpatrick? <laughs> right, right. Let me, now, since we've kind of bagged on him, or I hope we haven't, I, I want to defend him. Oh, we have. Go ahead. You want to come to his defense, you can. Yes, I do, because I... I understood your point and I wanted to address your points and I think your points are valid, but I also think I can defend John Elway without disproving your points. Okay. Yes. <clears throat> First of all, if we go game winning drives and fourth quarter comebacks, the numbers are staggering. They're staggering. Uh, the Super Bowl starts just to get through the postseason tournament five times in one career for one team is remarkable. Mm -hmm. It's remarkable. This is where I'm going to go near and dear to Marcus Mosher's heart, though. Now, I know that this doesn't quite play into um, whether a guy's the greatest quarterback or not. But if we're going to put so much emphasis into the combine, into the draft, and whether a guy could be could parachute in today and play in today's NFL, which seems to be a big thing with young people, they love to say that, you know, Bart Starr played against a bunch of truck drivers and insurance salesmen. Mm -hmm. John Elway is the greatest prospect in quarterback history, period. Ever, yep. Period. Period. There's no, give me anybody. I know you love Michael Vick. I'll take John Elway all day. Uh, no, I know you love. This is the answer. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. This is. This is Andrew Luck on steroids. Mm -hmm. uh, this is not literally on steroids. 
And Andrew Luck certainly did not look like, look like he was on steroids the last time I saw him at the national championship game. (laughs) But um, he is, I think Andrew Luck was probably the best quarterback prospect of my professional career, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, covering the game. But John Elway is the best quarterback prospect of my lifetime. And I think he's, I'm going to say arguably because I wasn't around in 19, you know, uh, 55. So I'm going to say you look good, but not, greatest, not that good. Yeah. A greatest <laughs> quarterback. Uh, thank you. The greatest quarterback prospect that I know of. And Marcus, I really don't think it's arguable for anyone that we've seen. I mean, who, who would, who'd be the guy that you would put closest to him? Yeah, I mean, Andrew Luck's the first name that comes to mind. Trevor Lawrence is probably the second. Um, but before that, man, I don't think we have any. I mean, Cam was a great, great prospect. He and Luck's measurables were very similar. Although Cam Cam wasn't even viewed as the consensus number one pick. A lot of people thought he could maybe fall into the teens. Um, right, because yeah, he only started one year, right? One year. So I think it's, yeah, I think it's Luck, Lawrence, and then John Elway. So now it's one thing to say a guy's a great prospect. And I realize that that doesn't translate into a, being a great player. And so you might say, well, this is really a non sequitur to Marcus's point. But I'm saying that John Elway was like a Bob Hayes. He was a guy that not only was Bob Hayes the fastest guy in the history of pro football, but Bob Hayes was really good too. Yeah. And, and that matters because when you're a guy is stands head and shoulders above everybody else in the evaluation process, and plays great, plays up to that ability, um, you can drop them in any era, mm-hmm. and they would be able to perform in any era. And John Elway was mobile. He could run. He could throw on the run. He could run to his left. He was right-handed. He could run to his left, turn and throw across his body 50 yards down the field. Remember, the the, the football field's, what, 53 yards wide? So... He could make any throw that he wanted to make, and he did it routinely. And he may not have been the most accurate thrower, but a lot of those low completion percentages were because he was trying to make plays late in games or they were throwing the ball down the field. The Broncos offense in the 80s and early 90s was really sporadic. It was on one hand, it was really safe. But then when they did throw the ball, they would throw it down the field, which does lend itself to interceptions. I'm probably sound like I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth here. But I just want to say that when you combine his natural ability with his leadership to help get that team again through the postseason tournament five times and the fact that he was so good in the clutch, to me, he was a no-brainer first ballot Hall of Famer and I have no problem with him being in the top 10 it's just how high in the top 10 are you going? Yep. Do you have any more thoughts on John Elway before I give you one more 1990s quarterback take? Um, yeah, I do, actually. I want to make it really clear that I don't disrespect John Elway's game at all. I, I just, I was, I watched those games. I used to like the Broncos, actually, in the mid-80s. And, you know, I remember how bad he could be. Uh, 83, 84, and parts of 85. He really struggled. I mean, really struggled. And he 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 made himself into a great player, which I respect a tremendous amount. Um, I think the fact that he had such a bad rookie year actually makes his career greater 
because he, in some ways, because like Larry Allen, who got beat around by Reggie White in, in the championship game, which you've seen those plays, and he recovered from that. In fact, John Elway's last game in 1983, can you look this up on Pro Football Reference real quick, and then we'll get mm -hmm. off John Elway. If memory serves, they played, it was either the last game or the second to last game, they played Baltimore at mile high. Mm-hmm. And he led them on a comeback win. It was a really close game. And it knocked the Colts out of playoff contention. And it showed what kind of ability uh, he really had. And I think the Colts had hammered the Broncos earlier that year. Am I right on that? Uh, so they were, yeah, they won that game uh, 21 and 19. He had 345 yards passing, uh, three touchdowns. Passering of one on one yards per temper, very average. Uh, but yeah, they they actually beat the the Colts earlier in that season as well. But he was dreadful in that game. Eight of twenty one for one hundred and six yards. Yeah, and that one is was at Baltimore, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're a twenty two year old quarterback. You don't go to Baltimore. It was like Eli Manning. He said, "We're not, I'm not going to Baltimore." So they did a trade with Chris Hinton, and the Broncos got John Elway. Then he goes to Baltimore. What week was that? Like week five, week seven, the, the bad one. Uh, yeah, week seven. Pretty early, right? Yep. You go and you get your, you, you play awful against the team you said you didn't want to play for. And everyone in the country is bashing you. And I think in one of those games, he lined up behind the guard and put his hands mm -hmm. behind the guard to take the snap. <clears throat> then you come back later in the year and you play that same team again. You have a great game and you lead your team to a come from behind victory, which got the Broncos in the playoffs. They ended up going to the wild card that year. They lost to Seattle, but that says a lot about John Elway's uh, resilience, moxie character uh, as a player. So just wanted to say that, but uh, that's it. That's is, all I got on John Elway. Last one. Is Matt Stafford this, this generation's John Elway? No. Number one pick. Strong arm, a little bit overrated early in his career, but won a Super Bowl late. I you mean, sure, no. <laughs> I get the analogy, but I would take John Elway over Matt Stafford without oh, I, even I I without even thinking but, about but it. But here's what I I wouldn't be surprised retroactively, like five years from now, ten years from now, if people start to look at Stafford and say, "Man, look at the stats," you know. Top five in passing yards ever. Hey, maybe he is yeah. a top 10 quarterback now that he's got a Super Bowl. That's what I don't want to happen. Yeah, well, that's what happened with Elway because when Elway retired, he was at the top of the leaderboards in, in stats or very close to it because he had played so long. Uh, only Marino was ahead of him, but he's in that Rodgers, Favre tier, Steve Young tier. I think when it's all said and done, Rodgers is going to come out ahead in that grouping. But if Rodgers has another postseason failure like last year, maybe he doesn't. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't. Uh, all right. Last thing I want to tell you before we head out, because we're already 35 minutes into this podcast. We, I can't believe we tore That's... down John Elway for 35 minutes. But well, I didn't uh, tear him down. Well, you I tore did. him down. I didn't I tear did. him That's down. That's true. Uh, so, I mean, you know that I've been watching a lot of 1990s football in my spare time because I like to just have it on when I'm – having my nice morning coffee. Uh, so I've been watching a lot of these games and I went the other day and I went and looked up some stats and I looked at the uh, adjusted yards per attempt 
for all the quarterbacks in the 1990s with a minimum of 60 starts. At the top is Steve Young. Not a surprise. I think he was the best quarterback of the 90s. That's not a hot take, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. You think that is a hot take, don't you? Go ahead. At number two, my guy Randall Cunningham, who I am officially calling the most underrated quarterback of the 90s. Um, Alex, I just want to read to you one of his seasons that he had. I mean, I know that you, you've never looked at his 1990s season before, but uh, it's absolutely incredible. So, 1990, he starts all 16 games. The Eagles go 10-6. and six. He throws for 3,500 yards, 30 touchdowns, 30 touchdowns, and 13 interceptions. He averages 7.5 yards per attempt, which is really good. Again, again, really 942 good. yards rushing. 942 yards rushing, yep. five touchdowns, and averages 8.0 yards per rush. What an incredible season from Randall Cunningham. Yeah. Uh, also, I mean, he didn't do any punting that season, but also pretty darn good punter when he needed to be. Yeah. So why does it Randall Cunningham get more love? Well, first of all, I'm not looking at his stats. Thank you for your jab in there. Um <laughs> So there you go. Um, I tell you what, I'm going to answer your query. Okay. I'm going to, I am going to entertain you. If you promise to watch a game from the 1990s with an open mind that I ask you to watch for your next 1990s viewing pleasure. Sure. So I get to pick. Go ahead. Um, I'm going to write it down right now. Okay. The best game of the 1990s. I will tell you at the end of my answer here. Okay. So, Randall Cunningham, phenomenally ahead of his time. Most dynamic player in pro football from 1987 to 1990, hands down. Um, Perhaps treated a little unfairly, but remembered to be a lot better than he actually was in terms of competitive greatness. That's how I would... That's how I would say Randall Cunningham's career. That's how I would describe it. Um, I was a big fan of Randall. Well, I was a big fan until the 1987 game at the vet when me, a little Cowboys, young little Cowboys fan, watched the Eagles beating the Cowboys and the game's over. Do you know where I'm going with this? Yes, yes. The, the game is over and Buddy Ryan calls for a fake kneel down throw into the end zone to run up the score. So Randall mocks kneeling down and then throws a deep ball and they get a PI call on it. And uh, yeah, we were extremely ticked off. Did you cry after that game? I didn't cry, but I yelled and said, what the, you know, what are they doing? (laughs) You know, I was a little kid, but understandable. I've I've cried during Cowboy games before. Yeah. But here's the thing, man. His 1990 season was absolutely phenomenal. And he was really good in 88 and 89. He made spectacular plays. The problem for Randall Cunningham is sometimes the stats are a little bit better than the play was kind of the opposite of John Elway. And here's the thing. In 88, uh, Marcus, they, uh, they go to the playoffs. They lose in the Fog Bowl when the fog rolled in. 
Mm -hmm. at halftime. I'm sure you've seen that game before. Mm -hmm. Philadelphia really should have won that game in the first half. They had two drop touchdown passes. That one I everyone could excuse, but 89, they got the doors beat off of them, and their offense did nothing in the playoffs. I think they got beat 20 to nothing. You could look that up, mm -hmm. 89 playoffs. 1990, they got beat like 20 to nine or something like that uh, by Washington. Once again, Randall was not good. 91, he gets hurt. 92, his stats are really good. I was shocked when you told me the other day that he was second team all pro that mm -hmm. year because he actually got benched in the middle of that year at a key game at Dallas. They came out in the second half with Jim McMahon and Jim McMahon took the Eagles right down the field, scored a touchdown. And there was a lot of internal bickering with the 92 Eagles. Randall was just not considered much of a leader of that team. And I think, I think he would even tell you that by 92, 93, I think the game was just not fun for him anymore. He got hurt in 93, 94. He was bad. And by 95, Rodney Pete had beaten him out was a full-time starter and Randall retired to go lay tile. I think in Vegas, I think he, he started a tile laying business if I'm not mistaken. Um, then he had that great comeback with Minnesota, which was phenomenal. 97. He leads the Vikings, uh, against the giants and a great comeback win in the postseason. 98 he has that incredible offensive year but then 99 he got benched again and he got benched in favor of jeff george so it's just really hard i know that was a long-winded answer but it's really hard to underrate a guy that was benched multiple times in his career but to his credit his this team won a lot of games with him as a starting quarterback from 87 until 98 his teams were 75 and 40, 35 games over 500. And I know, I mean, we could talk about him not being a great leader, but his teams won a lot and he put up big stats. I think the other thing is this is, man, he was really one of the true great running quarterbacks. We have six seasons in his career where he had over 500 yards rushing. Just not a lot of quarterbacks were doing that in the, in the nineties. So I don't know. I, I'm not saying that he's a top 10, top 15 quarterback. And I'm not even saying he was a top five quarterback in that era. I It's just that when we talk about the great quarterbacks in the 90s, he's never really brought up despite his stats being right on par with the rest of them. I think that's because a couple things, Marcus. So one, he kind of would have had a Kurt Warner, Arizona renaissance with the Vikings if he had come back in 1999 and played at a high level, but I think the Vikings started that year, like two and five or something like that. And he just wasn't good. Mm -hmm. And they had to go with Jeff George and Jeff George took him to the playoffs and Jeff George played well in the playoffs. He was on a one-year deal. George ended up in Washington the next year, but he did play um, well in the 1998 playoffs. Yeah, he did. He had one. What I'm saying is when Kurt Warner went to the Cardinals, Kurt was pretty good in 07, great in 08, and really good again in 09. Randall barely played in 97. He played in the playoffs and he did well, had a great 98, and then 99 he got benched. And so I think it just wasn't long enough because I've heard people talk about Randall Cunningham for the Hall of Fame. And I agree that he was really ahead of his time. That's no, I, um, I I'm a big fan, but no, he's not a Hall of Fame quarterback. It doesn't mean he's not underrated, though. Yeah, but I will go on the flip side of this. Uh, well, one one other point against him is, man, let me tell you, I know, I know, you mentioned the seventy-five and forty record as a starter. Mm 
if you take the 15 and one Viking season out of that, which he deserves credit for. So this is kind of unfair of me to do this. I'm admitting this is unfair. He would be 60 and 39, mm -hmm. which is still good. It's still good. 62 and 30. Very good. Yep. But listen, man, you're talking about a Philadelphia team with Reggie White, Clyde Simmons, Seth Joyner, uh, Wes Hopkins, Eric Allen, like those Eagles teams had some bona fide, amazing players. They had the second greatest defensive player in the history of the National Football League. I mean, like, do you think the Rams win without Aaron Donald? Do the Rams no, even make no. the playoffs without Aaron Donald? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, but I think they're more of a, the nine and seven type team that Sean McVay coached a few years ago. Um, Randall, though, I will say he rarely played with really good wide receivers. The best receiver he ever had was Mike Quick, and Mike Quick kept getting hurt by the time Randall became the starter. From 87 to 90, Randall made that team uber competitive and deserves all the credit in the world. And if you look at his rushing numbers from 87 to 90, man, they're unbelievable. They're, they're unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Like his yards per carry those four years, his record as a starter – I think 87 as a starter, he went seven and five. I think 88, they went 10 and six, mm -hmm. 89, 11 and five, and six, 11 and five. And then 90, was it also 11 and five, 10 and six? Yep. 10 and six. Okay. And that's, that's pretty successful. Um, we've seen a lot of quarterbacks with a lot of good talent just flop and fail and cause their team to lose. Right. And it, I I don't disagree with you. I like it. That team was really good, but I think he does deserve some credit for at least not causing big waves and at least get, get having them be consistently good every single year. I, it's hard to go basically four straight years winning double digit games. Like there's just not a lot of quarterbacks that can do that. Even with a great defense. I think you talk about creating big waves. I think 92 was really the year that that happened because 91, everyone was so excited <clears throat> the Eagles opened up at green Bay and Bryce pop. Uh, hit him on the knee. He missed the whole year. In 92, when he came back, I think there was just so much pressure on him. And I don't, there's a book about it actually, um, about the 92 Eagles. And that team was just, it had a really hard time. And Jerome Brown, the defensive tackle, uber talented defensive tackle had died in the off season. And they, they tried to play that season for Jerome Brown and they made it to the divisional playoffs. But Randall was up and down and it, so when he was up, he was great. But when he was down, and then 93, they had a good record, and he got hurt. And like I said, I think it was at that point. When you take two major season-ending injuries, uh, kind of like Jamal Charles did, where didn't Jamal Charles have two seasons wrecked yep. Yep. by major injuries? I think by 94, it was just really hard, really hard for him to come back. Um but I listen, he's one of the most exciting players I've ever seen. I still love his touchdown run against Green Bay in 90. Unbelievable, where he leapfrogs in the end zone. I'm sure you've seen the Carl Banks play about a billion mm -hmm. times. Um, he had a 92-yard punt. His end zone throw against Buffalo in 1990, where he avoids two pass rushers and then throws it to Fred Barnett 60 yards downfield is unbelievable. Still one of the greatest plays in NFL history. To this day, and if I had to give Randall Cunningham the most credit for anything, he played 
with, I think, the worst offensive line in the history of pro football. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Worse mm-hmm. than David Carr's with Houston, and that is saying something, man. He got sacked, I think, 72 times in 86, something like that. And uh, Ron Jaworski got sacked like 30 times. I think the 86 Eagles gave up almost 100 sacks, <laughs> something like that. Anyway. Jeez. Most underrated go. quarterback of the 90s. That's, that's, that's all I have to say. Oh. I, you know what? I could go there with you. I, I think I could go there with it's you. It's just I'd the other quarterbacks ahead of him. We talk about all the time, right? Steve Young, Troy Aikman, John Elway, Brett Favre. I mean, we just, that next group of guys we just don't talk about enough. And Randall Cunningham, who, again, 1990, finished second in the MVP voting. 1992, he was a yep. second-team All-Pro selection. Okay, I'm, I'm, 1998, I'm, I'm, yeah. so he was the finished second in MVP voting. So if you're twice in the same decade, you're in the MVP conversation, but we never talk about you. I think that makes you underrated. That's all. I And I thought he should have won the MVP in 90. I think Thurman Thomas won it that year. I'm pretty sure. I, I would need to look that up, but I'm pretty sure that was Thurman Thomas. And I would I would have taken Randall that year. At 98, Terrell Davis won it, and he deserved to win it. Um, Although that voting was a lot closer than you would think. I'm looking at the voting now. It was close. For 98? Yeah. What was it? Uh, so... Terrell Davis got 25 of the 50 votes. Cunningham got 15. Jamal Anderson got uh, four. And Randy Moss got three. What about go to 90? Let's see how that voting shook out. Because I know Randall was Sporting News Player of the Year in 90. Uh, okay. 1990. Uh, Warren Moon got 43 votes. and the, Sorry, wrong one. Joe, Joe Montana got 26 Joe votes. Joe Montana was MVP. That's right. Randall Cunningham got 18. Warren Moon got 16. And Bruce Smith got 11 uh, votes. Yeah, I had the wrong year on that. So it was Montana. Yeah, Montana, that's right. Won it in 89 and 90 back to back. That's right. I, that's my bad. So It's kind of kind of crazy that Montana won it, considering that Randall Cunningham had the same number of passing yards. Well, Montana a little bit more passing yards, but he had more passing touchdowns, fewer interceptions. At 800 more rushing yards. Yeah, I, well, I mean, the 49ers were also phenomenal that year. Sure. Marcus and Montana didn't even play the last year, the last week of the season that year. I just, it's they, shocking how close their stats were, except for the rushing stuff. Well, the problem too is the 49ers were winning big in a lot of games and they took, uh, they took Montana out. Um, by the way, Thurman Thomas won the MVP in 91, not 90. That was my bad. I just looked that up because I wanted, I had to know. Um, hey man, I, I think you make it. Who is this era's Randall Cunningham? Uh, Dak Prescott. I don't mean in skill set. I mean oh, underrated. Uh, underrated. Ooh, in the same manner. Uh, I mean, probably Philip Rivers. I think you could make a case for one of your favorite players. Um, My, I mean, but, Michael Vick. No, not Michael Vick. <laughs> You know, that's, that's an interesting one. Would you take Mike, Michael Vick and Randall Cunningham's careers are remarkably yeah. similar. Remarkably. I, I would take Vick's career over Randall Cunningham's. Well, they, the fact that Vick had that renaissance in 2010 and they couldn't mm-hmm. replicate it in 2011 is exactly what happened with Randall Cunningham. Literally, it's the exact same thing. Vick... Came to the Eagles in 09. 
He didn't really play much until the playoffs against Dallas and a loss, just like Randall Cunningham in 97. Randall has that huge year in 98. Michael Vick has that huge year in 2010. Then the next year, they couldn't hold on to the starting job. But so then you're comparing their early careers with one another, which are also extremely similar. It is shocking how similar their careers are. It it really is. But I I think I would take Randall okay. there. I do. Um, um, that's close, though, man. That's close. That was I, not who I was referring to. But, yeah, I, but man, Michael Vick's 2002 playoff game against the Packers, which they'll show every once in a while on NFL Network. Yeah, it's a snowy game. The stats aren't great. He had 117 passing yards in that game, but he was really good. And that was a much better Packers team that they were playing, and they dominated them. Yes, and that's what Randall doesn't have. Yeah. With his with the Eagles, 88, 89, 90, and 92, when he played in the playoffs for the Eagles, he just he wasn't very good. And that's that's what really hurts him. But I think he was a better player in a lot of ways than Fair Michael enough. Vick was. And not in a lot of ways. It's really close. It's really close. Yeah, if you say he's the most underrated quarterback in the 90s, I'd go that. I'd probably go Neil Lomax for the 80s and Ken Anderson for the 70s. Um I'm I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But he's not a Hall of Famer. That's, no, that's fine. I agree. That that's my point. Um, anybody else though that you want to bag on before we before we? No, leave? I'm ready. This podcast has already been too long. I'm ready to go. I know my Tony Romo voice, man. I don't know what has been going on with my throat um, lately. So I was going to say to you though, if you're going to watch a 1990s game, the best game of the 1990s that you're going to poo-poo is the 1990 NFC Championship. And I told you this one time, and you said, how can a 15 to 13 game possibly be the best game of the decade? But anyone that's listened to this podcast that watched football in the 90s, I think they would agree with me. I do. They might they might say, well, what about the Broncos Packers Super Bowl? That would be that'd be a good nominee um, for sure. But I think the best game of the 90s was that ch- NFC championship game. So once you watch that with an open mind and we'll do, I will, what, I'll watch it tomorrow. See what like crisp tackling actually looks a bit like instead of a guy just hitting somebody with their shoulder, hoping that he falls backward. Okay. Deal. What in-game strategy looks like when your quarterback is not protected to the, to the hilt, you know, what true gutsy play calling you, I, is we gotta go. Let's without go. analytics. We're almost at an hour. What's that? We gotta go. We're almost at an hour. Yeah. Are you going to give me the final word here or anything? No, I'm not. No, just because you've irritated me. <laughs> no, so fine. I am going to give you the final word, but just so I can sum up this podcast for all of you, Marcus really doesn't like John Elway. <laughs> Marcus is heavily biased towards Randall Cunningham. And Marcus thinks that the only really great football games are the ones that are 42 to 40. Uh, yeah. 46 to 38. Uh, all right, my last word for the podcast today uh, as we head out. It's uh, 4th of July weekend. Elliot, are you doing anything fun? Um, I'm going to watch Mike Leach era Texas Tech games because I just yeah. love 72 to 57. Now that sounds fun. Sports. We should do that. Uh, no. My only, my only thought on 4th of July weekend is nobody wants to watch your three-minute Instagram story of fireworks from your phone. Uh, so please don't record those and put them on Twitter or Instagram. Nobody cares. That's all. Have a great holiday, everybody. Yeah, because everybody really cares about the meal you're about to eat. (laughs) I'm just.
just saying, have you ever looked at fireworks on Twitter or Instagram and been like, man, those look awesome? No. <laughs> we appreciate you guys tolerating us for this long. I hope this was an informative podcast. I hope you guys enjoy talking NFL history. Not enough people do it. And so uh, we, we certainly enjoyed it. And by the way, this didn't come from me. This was all Marcus Mosher. So uh, speaking of, he is at Marcus underscore Mosher. Uh, on the internet, on the interweb, where he hosts Locked On Cowboys. Locked On Cowboys. How's <laughs> the cards are for USA Today? And I am at Harrison NFL on Twitter. We really appreciate you guys. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. We'll probably see you on Wednesday of next week. We're figuring that out. Uh, Marcus needs a long vacation so he can bake these takes he has. Y'all take care. Bye-bye.